Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo. My co-host, Nick Polak, uh, is being attacked by ants right now. Uh, that's actually a real thing that is occurring. That's not me making up a joke situation. So we had to replace him on this episode of the podcast. We decided to go out and get ourselves one Peter Burks. Peter, what's going on? The boys are back. Damn. That's a, we, that actually may be something you hear during the uh, during the hoops pod if a few things go our way. But other than that, <laughs> uh, let's stay in the present. How you doing, brother? I'm uh, doing good. Doing good. Just uh, had some tostadas for dinner. I'm Ooh. feeling great. Ooh, I had some. Uh, I went spaghetti squash and a salad. Very hearty yet healthy. So look at you being responsible. Uh, I was gonna say a good. Well, that's just because it's Ohio State week, and I'm going to do some terrible things to my body later this week. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, we also decided to go get someone who's going to be making this podcast debut tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, coming to us from Delaware, Mr. Len D'Amico. Len, what's going on, brother? Not a whole lot, gentlemen. How are you doing? Pretty good. Thanks for uh, joining. How you feeling? First time on the podcast, all that? You know, um, it's a scary feeling, but <laughs> I, I'm, I couldn't do it with, uh, with a couple of better co-hosts, so. <laughs> yeah, screw you, Nick. All right. <laughs> yeah, screw that guy. Always and forever. Uh, speaking of, you know, things that are always and forever, we're actually not going to be talking about Penn State football this episode of the pod we're just talking about the big 10 we're doing a bit of a big 10 first half ish recap so to speak so far the biggest conference in the land uh it looks like we're on a crash course for nebraska to come out of the west and one of michigan or ohio state to come out of the east we're going to talk a little bit about the best teams in the conference the worst teams the things that are surprising us and just some other fun little stuff that we'd want to throw in uh, but I think that the best place to start is the funniest place to start, which is the worst team in the conference. And we all agree on this. So, Len, I'm going to let you start because what better way to, you know, get used to what it's like on this podcast than by spitting some hot fire about the most obvious thing that we have ever discussed on here. <laughs> Thank you for setting that one up on a tee. Yeah, I mean, Rutgers is so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I really wish I had some better analysis on what's going on there, but they just don't necessarily look like they belong on any <laughs> football field that they happen to find themselves on. Yeah, um... I. There were other actual football games on the evening of the uh, Michigan debacle, and I, it was, I couldn't take my eyes off it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we had so we were just hanging out in the Slack today, and out of nowhere. Uh, Rob Doherty, our newest staff member, the guy who's going to be covering wrestling for us this year, brought up the point that over Rutgers' last three games, which is uh, Iowa, Michigan, and Ohio State, if my memory serves, they have been outscored 160-7. to That's amazing. Like, this is just a team, and Len just touched on it, and Peter, I kind of want to get your thoughts. Like, I just, like, I don't think they... We've joked they don't deserve to be in the Big Ten, but they're doing a really good job making everyone who went, why is Rutgers in the Big Ten look right? Like, this team just does not look like it belongs at all. So, in defense of Rutgers being in the Big Ten, I just Googled the term Rutgers schedule, and the first thing that popped up was their academic schedule, but not their football, which might be the biggest damn thing I could ever imagine. Um, oh, but I mean, other than that, yeah, they they suck, man. That this is it's honestly incredible. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and also, so I was just looking at the the last game they lost was to Illinois, who also is really excruciatingly bad. Oh, that's right. Their last three were against Ohio State, Michigan, and Illinois. Yes. Iowa was the week before. Okay, but also <laughs> remember they opened the season at Washington. Oh yes, they did. Oh my gosh! What? They, yeah, they they can't do anything. They are uh, they are the the lowest rated power conference team in uh, S and P plus. They're 117th. Really? Um, Wait, they're yes. they're above they're below Kansas. Yes. Yeah. Jesus. Wow. Only like five spots. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean. Yeah. No. Like... They're. Uh, their offensive uh, offensive ranking is second worst in the country. Jesus. Like, yeah, no, and, they, they can't do anything. And, like, when you look at the conference, like, Illinois is not a good team. Purdue is not a good team. 
Michigan State, I'm, I'm sure we'll get to a little bit later in this episode of the podcast, but the gap between Rutgers and the second worst team in the Big Ten is just massive. Like you said, there is nothing that this team can really do. Like, they have a few players who I guess are all right. Like, Janarian Grant, I think he's out for the season if memory serves. Uh, J-E-N-A... This, this is a good moment in podcasting. Oh, uh, yeah. Good Googling. Yeah, some good Googling, yes. Yeah, his, his season's over the year, and Grant is really the one guy on this team that, like, you get any semblance of joy out of watching because there is just no joy in Rutgers football. And, like, don't get me wrong, like, this team may end up being pretty solid. I, this team may end up being not this bad in two or three years. But for now, like, there's just nothing. Like, are there? Is there an honorable honorable mention, or is Rutgers so bad when that they just get all the honorable mentions for the worst team in the conference so far? I, I mean, I, in terms of bad football, I would maybe put Purdue in that conversation. Like, just got a coach fired, but even they, they've won yeah. three football games, and that that counts for something, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Purdue's the only one who's even close. Well, I I put Illinois down there. Illinois is not exactly. I, uh, Illinois is Illinois is bad, but they're like regular bad. Yeah. Okay. They're, they're like, a regular bad. I think team. Purdue and Rutgers are like a different, like a, like a story down. I was gonna say Illinois is a regular bad team that lost at home to Purdue. It's oh, one of those things where there's yeah. no real wrong answer here, guys. They're I, all yeah, yeah. not great. Yeah, I, I mean, do we want to briefly talk about why P.J. Fleck to Purdue makes zero sense in the world, or should we just move on and say that for another podcast? He has a better job now. He, Yeah, he does have a better job. He has job a better now. job right now. And guess the what? The roster's better right now. Yeah, whatever job he leaves for is going to be like a factor of five times better than Purdue. So, yeah. sorry, Purdue. Uh, now let's actually get into... A discussion that I think is really interesting, and that is to this point, so not overall yet, but just up until October 17th, 2016. Uh, Peter, we'll start with you. Who is the best team in the Big Ten? Okay, so just so far, I think Michigan has been the best team in the conference. I would, I still think Ohio State is going to beat them, yes, and I still think Ohio State has a higher ceiling, but. Michigan's defense is on some really nasty stuff right now. <laughs> yeah, do you want, um, without so, cheating? Yeah, I, I, I would go with them by, by a pretty slim margin, but yeah. They're, without they're, cheating, okay. how many points have Michigan allowed in Big Ten play this year? Oh, oh. Ooh, hold on, hold on. I will give you a hint. Their Big Ten games have been Penn State, Wisconsin, and Rutgers. 17. 17 is correct. Oh. They've allowed 62 total, and 28 of those came in the game against Colorado. Like, this is, this defense is just on another level. Uh, and I actually liked what you said that right now, Michigan has been the best team. Even though Ohio State has two much better wins on the road against Wisconsin. I mean, Michigan beat Wisconsin at home, but on the road against Wisconsin is at night is a completely different animal than playing them at home at, like, two... 12 or whenever that game kicked off. Yeah, going, I think that was like a, a mid-afternoon game. Yeah, and then going to Oklahoma and just stomping all over the Sooners, which Oklahoma was probably a bit overrated. That's still a really, really good win for them. But yeah, still, like... I also think they, they, they worked over Tulsa, too, and Tulsa's pretty good. Yeah. and But putting all this together, like, I think right now, yes, Michigan is better, but... Every week, Ohio State seems like it gets a little bit better in some other way. And I just don't... I think Michigan is at its ceiling. Like, it just can't get much better than where it's at. But with Ohio State, the more they play, the more this young talent gets out there, the better I think they are. So if they're a little neck... If they're neck and neck or Michigan's a little bit ahead right now, I almost expect that by the time they play at the end of the season in Columbus... Ohio State's going to either completely close that gap or pull pretty comfortably ahead, I'd say. I mean, at Penn State, home against Nebraska, 
uh, at Michigan State, which Michigan State is an abomination of a football team, but that's still a tough place to play. I I think that that's where we're going, but as of right now, like everything is clicking for Michigan. Jabril Peppers looks like he could be the first defensive player to win the Heisman in a while if Lamar Jackson just like takes a few weeks off and decides he doesn't want to play football to make it fair on everyone else. Like they just murder teams on both lines of scrimmage. Like it's awesome to watch in a way, especially when it's at the expense of a team like Rutgers, where Michigan put up a seventy-eight spot on them. Uh, when, like, where do you stand on this? Because, like, I do think you can make a good case for the Buckeyes. Do you want to go there, or do you also think it's the Wolverines? I absolutely want to go there. I, oh, wow. I would. I would certainly say the Buckeyes. I'm possibly basing this a little bit on the freshness of watching that Wisconsin game in my mind. Uh, the, the common opponents, I think, yes, it did go to overtime, but I felt Ohio State, the way they gained momentum throughout the game, the way they made great halftime adjustments, I thought. And, uh, God, Camp Randall's an impossible place to play. And yeah, yeah. yeah. I found that that's one arbitrary measuring stick, but that's the one I'm using for now. Yeah, no, that's that's completely fair. And like we just said, like at Wisconsin, at Oklahoma, and we forget they ran Oklahoma off the field. Like the final score said 45 to 24. That's a 21 point win, but I don't think it was as close as that score indicated. Yeah, they just, no, they were. Yeah, they completely. At no yeah. point. Yeah. Sorry. No, no, no. Like, go ahead. Like, So the, the one thing that uh, people have been bringing up, especially uh, about Ohio State after the Wisconsin game, uh, so that was not a great game for JT Barrett. No. Um, and you would think that, you know, against uh, defense like Michigan's, you're probably going to see a lot of really skittish play out of him. But, I mean, I still think I'd take him over Wilton Spate, wouldn't you? Uh, uh, yeah, I'd say so. I just, the, the ceiling is so much higher, I think, and that, I, that goes for both them as players, but also I think the teams overall. Yeah, plus... I've, oh, go ahead. I've said before that I think that no player is more perfectly suited, no player's skill set is more per- perfectly suited to the scheme that he's in than JT at Ohio State. Yeah. And one thing that we kind of forget about JT Barrett he hasn't looked, you know, like a world beater this year. He's completing 63% of his passes. His TD to INT ratio is 4 to 1, averaging about 5 yards per carry. Two years ago, he was, uh, I mean, lights out kind of sells him a bit short. He was one of the best quarterbacks in all of, all of college football, was responsible for, I think, 45 total touchdowns, if my really bad math is correct right now. So this is a dude. Oh, no, that's correct. Nice. So this is a dude who, even if, even when his best isn't, you know, putting up the insane box scores that we see out of guys like Deshaun Watson, out of Lamar Jackson, stuff like that, he's still capable of doing some really incredible stuff on the football field to the point that when he has a game like the game that he had last week against Wisconsin where he completed 50 he completed about 58, 59% of his passes for 226 yards, had a little over 90 yards on the ground and three total touchdowns. That seems a bit underwhelming. So when he's really locked in, I mean, this Ohio State offense just goes to a completely different level. Um, looking right now, they're 11th in S&P Plus on offense, uh, Michigan's 25th, and then defense, Ohio State's number seven, and Michigan is number one. Uh, and I don't know how like exactly what the number means, but uh, Michigan's defensive S and P plus is 0.9. And I'm inclined to believe that's probably pretty good. So, yeah. So that's uh that's their adjusted points allowed per game. Ah, okay. Very good. Very good. I, I believe that that's what that is. Yeah. They, I, I, yeah, that's, that's stupid. I hate Michigan, yeah. <laughs> I hate Michigan <laughs> so much. But listen, you gotta you gotta respect their real and like this is just a really great team, and it's to the point, Peter, where we look over in the West and we see a team like Nebraska, six and zero in the season. Uh, they're three and zero right now in conference play. In the most recent poll, they're the number eight team of the country. Uh, whether or not they deserve that ranking, that's a completely different conversation. But I think we all agree that Nebraska, at the very least, is a decent to good football team but 
when they, if they're the team that ends up meeting up with either Michigan or Ohio State in the conference title game, I think that we all expect them to just get run off the field. Yeah. 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 And that goes for Iowa, which it's taken a bit of a step back, but it's still a solid team. Northwestern, which um, is somehow 2-1 and one in the conference. And Wisconsin, which still a good football team, lost to Ohio State and Michigan by a combined, uh, let's see, they lost to Michigan by seven points. They lost to Ohio State by seven points. They lost to two of the three best teams in the country probably by 14 total points. But I don't think any of us really expect them to put up much of a fight if they get to the conference title game. Like it's, it, it's just those two teams' world, and we're all living in it. Um, yeah, Peter, do you want to say something nice about Nebraska, right, quick, just so we can, you know, sprinkle some goodness on them? Sure. Yeah. Um, so, so last year was, was real bad for them. Yes. But uh, their their underlying numbers last year were always better than what the results showed. Yes. Uh, so I'm not terribly surprised that they came back this year and are undefeated. Um, I mean, they they look good. Uh, schedule has that Oregon been, yeah. is looking less and less impressive yeah. by the week, but still. I was going to say schedule uh, isn't. I think I think it was good. like a mental thing for them at that point. Getting that win over that team, uh, I think, showed them, hey, yeah. like this is, you know, we can actually do some stuff this year. Yeah. And um, we can, like, win a close game, which last year, if we were in a close game, yeah. we were going to lose it, unless it was against Michigan State and we got, like, a completely bonkers call on an out-of-bound, on an ineligible receiver play or something like that, so. Um, I actually think, it, so the, they're a very positive surprise. I actually think Wisconsin is a bigger one. Yeah, I was going to say that. Um, I, like, the next I thought that, talent-wise, I think they are probably... Uh, I think they're probably better than Nebraska, but their schedule is just so insane yeah. that I thought any any improvement they might make is not going to show up in the win and loss column. And they're just so much better than I thought they were going to be, yeah. too. Um, that win over LSU to start the year was... Uh, I, I did not think in like 100 years that was going to happen. <laughs> no, no. And then, and then a couple weeks later, again, this win looking less and less impressive, but they just whipped the cracks off of Michigan State. Yeah. And so I, I'm just I I can't believe how much better they've looked, and I think it's going to show up in the win and loss column more than um, the schedule uh, was going to let them originally. Yeah, I mean, how many teams could you throw out onto a field against Michigan and Ohio State, and basically any place, and they only lose by 14 combined points? Like that's nothing to scoff at for them. And like you said, the Michigan State win looking less and less impressive. If they go to Iowa, that's probably not as impressive as we thought it was going to be to start the year. Uh, going to Northwestern to win kind of the same thing. Uh, beating Nebraska would be great for them. But yeah, this is a this is a Wisconsin team that I mean before the year I'm I mean awful takes exposed whatever. Like I thought this was a team that could possibly only win five games and not make it to a bowl game because of how yeah, good their schedule is. I didn't think they were going to go to a bowl game. Yeah. Like, that's how, how tough I thought their schedule was. Yeah, but they've, between beating teams that have more talent than them and just whipping up on other teams, like, yeah, this is a team that they deserve some love. I mean, no one really knew who, I mean, I still barely know who Alex Hornibrook is, and he's, uh, I mean, he's looked not horrific as a true freshman against Michigan and Ohio State, which deserves a ton of praise. Uh, Corey, which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like that, like we said, those are two of the best defenses in all of college football. And again, he hasn't, you know, with the world on fire, but he's taken over for assumed Wisconsin quarterback Bart Houston and done a really, really decent job which for again for a true freshman against those two teams that's all I could really ask for they're running the ball reasonably well their defense has been nasty this year uh partly behind another Watt which I'm I really hate that I had to say that sentence but yeah I mean <laughs> I wonder what 
Someone needs to, like, ask him what he thinks about the troops, and I need to, like, compare that answer to everything that his brother has ever said. But neither here nor there. Uh, but, yeah, Wisconsin, maybe... I When we're talking about biggest surprises, they have a really good stake for it. Nebraska has a really good stake for it. Uh, what do you think, Glenn? I think it's probably one of those two teams. Uh, if we're talking about positive surprises, of course, I think we're going to get to uh, negative, negative surprises. The negative in surprise a is coming next. <laughs> but yeah, it's one of those two teams. Um, I think the general consensus on Nebraska last year was wow, they were a really good team with a bad record, and they're just winning the games that they couldn't figure out last year for the most part. All of almost all of their wins have been pretty close games. I mean, uh, Saturday against Indiana was pretty typical of that. That's exactly the type of game that they would have figured out a way to give away last year. Yeah, I'd agree. I want to give a little bit of love, uh, not for the best team, but for, I mean, maybe the biggest surprise in all of college football. Uh, shout out to our friends at Crimson Quarry, because Indiana's got itself a defense, which... Yeah, they do. I mean, 30th mm-hmm. in S&P Plus. This is Indiana football... 30th in S&P Plus on defense. That's despite playing a pretty solid Wake Forest team, or at least a Wake Forest team that uh, isn't the Wake Forest teams of the past few years and looks like it may have some kind of a pulse. Uh, They played Ohio State, and they... eh, I mean, that's what happens when you play Ohio State. They beat Michigan State in a completely bonkers game. They played Nebraska tough. And their schedule gets a little bit hairy. Um... They have to go to Northwestern, to Michigan. They host Penn State. Uh, and th- then they have Rutgers, Purdue, and Maryland, so whatever. But, I mean, Indiana has, the, like, the defense has to catch up to the offense, which is, that that makes no sense to me. But good for Indiana. They, they've gone so long watching just these weird football games where their defense can't get a stop that I'm glad that their defense is finally at a place where it can get a stop every now and then. Plus, Richard Lago wears 24, is it? 21, maybe? 21? It's something in the 20s, and it's still very weird to look at. But I respect his hustle for... Oh, 21, yeah. I respect his hustle very much for doing that. Um, Let's get to the one that I'm the most excited to talk about. And that (laughs) is the biggest disappointment in the Big Ten this year. Um, and because I don't want, I want to be the one who says it first. I'll let you two go into more depth. But the answer to this is Michigan State, which is two and four. Its best win, its two wins came against a Furman team at home by fifteen, and a Notre Dame team that is. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> oh boy! A Notre Dame Dame team that is cute laughing sound effects. Uh. <laughs> I mean, Notre Dame saying that they're, uh, yeah, they're imploding and the implosion is imploding and that implosion is imploding. Like, that Notre Dame team is just a goddamn disaster. Uh, and that is Michigan State's best win so far, uh, beating that Notre Dame team by eight. So, um, yeah, uh, Len, I'll let you get started on this one while I try to compose myself. <laughs> It's just remarkable the variety of ways that Michigan State has has been able to be bad. <laughs> they've they've managed to lose close games. They've managed to get their Wisconsin beat the doors off in a little bit. They've managed to lose a game to Northwestern, scoring forty points at home. How do you do this? Northwestern it's, dropped fifty four on them. I, 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 I'm I'm struggling here. I, there are not words to put into. To describe what Michigan State has done on the football field this year, I was uh, I was out at a bar on Saturday afternoon during the Michigan State Northwestern game, and I like it was up on one of the TVs, and I looked at it, and I think I went like cross-eyed. <laughs> <laughs> like, what on earth happened to this team? And you they, know, the- like at first we we're like, okay, like they're they're like. That scrappy Michigan State where like they're gonna look bad, but they're gonna win ten games. And then they were kind of secret ass, and now the secret's out. They're they are whole ass. Like the worst loss might have been that BYU game, because they just got worked and pushed around on both sides of the ball. Like they just had no interest in being there. It was it was a 
joy to behold. It's amazing that we're talking about a Michigan State team and discussing their worst loss, and you can make a very good case that it's something other than letting Northwestern score 54 points on them in their building. Like, I'm looking at at the S&P Plus record probability. Right now, they have a 5% chance of going 2-10, and 30% chance of going 3-9, and 41% chance of 4-8, and 20% chance of 5-7, and 3% chance of 6-6. and So Michigan State has a 3% chance of making it to a bowl game because the rest of their schedule is as followed. They go to Maryland, which Maryland has been solid this year, and I guess going on the roads could be tough for them. They host Michigan in a game where they are just going to get destroyed. The projected score on that one is 40.2 to 6.5. Like, that's just going to be ugly. They, Over. They they go to Illinois where they are projected to lose. They host What? Them. Yeah. <laughs> what? S&P Plus, baby. Oh, oh my boy. God. They host Rutgers, oh. and because that's basically a bye week, they're projected to win that. And then Ohio State and at Penn State, they're projected to lose both of those. And the thing is, with Michigan State, like, with just what they are, I don't think anyone would be all that shocked if they flipped a switch and they beat Maryland and Illinois and Rutgers and Penn State and gave Michigan and Ohio State rough games. But that would kind of go in the face of the fact that this team hasn't been all that great running the football this year, which is usually one thing that Michigan State tries to hang its hat on. They are not very good at throwing the ball. And more concern, like the thing that's more cause of concern than anything, they're 84th in rushing SM, defensive rushing SP Plus and 102nd in passing defense SP Plus. Like, this is, like, I just don't see an answer anywhere. And maybe this is a team that, uh, once some of their young, once they're, you know, start really leaning on their young dudes and getting them experienced, Donnie Corley, uh, LJ Scott, he, you know, keeps maturing because he's going to be, he's a junior, a sophomore, which really shocked me because I feel like he's been around for a while. Their defense figures out whatever the hell's wrong with it. Like, it'll lose a couple of solid players going into next year, but they're going to bring back Monte Nicholson. They're going to bring back Malik McDowell, whatever. Like, maybe they'll be fine. And maybe this really is just a year where Michigan State punts before going 9-3 and three or 10-2 and two next year. But that doesn't mean that this isn't, just amazing to look at how how this team went from ostensibly the fourth best team in college football last year to uh, like uh. yeah no I Michigan State was never a team that recruited well enough that you consider them like they would reload um I just did air quotes that's good radio um (laughs) but I I, I just figured they were so good at developing talent, and D'Antonio was such a good coach, and they had such a good staff that um, that would smooth over pretty much any real major, um, like major pothole they'd run into. But I mean, they've just fallen into the ditch totally. And I, like you said, I would not be shocked at all if they just go nine and three next year, and everything is pretty much back to normal. But this just might be one of those years where you chalk it up and say, "Hey, this this is what happens sometimes. Like you yeah. can't be great every year." I mean, I think we all agree that the ideal scenario for Michigan State is D'Antonio decides that it's all done. Like, he's done a lot as a coach. He doesn't need to stick around much longer. He's going to be 61 next year. He decides, you know, it's good. It's a good time to hang him up for a while. And then they go out and they get the nard dog to fix all their defensive issues because he is, he's proven that at the University of Pittsburgh – they're going to play some really, really tough defense, just lock every team down. Uh, we're not going to look at any of the numbers on that. We're just going to go by Pat Narduzzi's reputation. And not, yeah, that all sounds good. Yeah, we're going to <laughs> we're, we're going to just ignore the fact that they are 61st in defensive S&P Plus this year uh, because Narduzzi's got that reputation, and he's the man who to turn it all around up in East Lansing. Him or PJ Fleck. Uh, yeah. So uh, before... <laughs> Before we move on here, this is this is really amazing. Uh, Michigan State uh, neighbors in the S and P rankings. Oh, Duke. Uh. Duke is ahead of them. Uh. Colorado State, Cincinnati, 
Kentucky, Syracuse, they're all right there. That's where Michigan State's sitting right now. Here, uh, let's play a fun game. Uh, so I'm just going to pull up the S&P Plus rate. Peter, if you can close out for a sec of the S&P Plus okay. ratings, that would be a, that'd be a good time. Now, how many spots okay. higher than Michigan State is Notre Dame? Wait, no. So Notre Dame is higher. Notre Dame is higher, yes. By how many spots? And remember, Notre Dame is two and five, and a tire fire. Like fifteen. The answer is nineteen. Really? Yeah. Like, I thought Notre Dame would be so much worse than that, but good on Michigan State for being a bit of a silver lining to this Notre Dame season. Um, yeah. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, I, we could probably touch on this one real quick. Uh, been a lot of really great players in the Big Ten this year. Uh, Peter, is there one guy that you think has really stood out above everyone else and deserves to be called the Conference Player of the Year so yeah, far? Jabril Peppers. Jabril. Yeah. Is yeah. It, uh, yeah. Incredible returner. He has uh, two rushing touchdowns. He has ten tackles for a loss. <laughs> Ten, just two and a half sacks. Like he, he honestly does everything. Yeah, he's so much fun to watch. I haven't seen a player like this in a long time. It, it, it has to be him. Yeah, it's and I mean Charles Woodson was the last defensive player to win the Heisman, correct? Uh, only, I believe. Only, yeah. So, I mean, again, everything goes through Lamar Jackson right now, but if he falls off, like. Peppers has as good of a case as probably anyone else in the country except for maybe like Jake Browning for the Heisman right now. He's yeah, just, no, yeah. What he needs is to both keep up this pace for all of his stats and keep doing something amazing every week. But if he gets like two or three touchdowns against Ohio State at the end of the year, like that's really going to do it for him. Oh, that would that'd be something. Uh, Len, do you have any uh, any disagreements on that? I can't, unfortunately. Yeah. I um, there's, there's just nothing the guy can't do. Do you know, I, mean, I I agree it's Peppers, but one dude that I think we need to give some love to is Curtis Samuel over at Ohio State. He has been awesome this year. He's second in Ohio State in yards, 456 yards on the ground, three rushing touchdowns. He also has 400 receiving yards to go along with three touchdowns. Like He has... He's Ohio State's clear leader in yards, second in rushing yards, seven total touchdowns, which, you know, is uh, six total touchdowns, apologies, which isn't, you know, life-altering, but it's still pretty solid. For Ohio State, that was kind of their big question coming into this year is who was going to help JT Barrett out because they have so much youth at all the skill positions. Well, they ended up turning to Curtis Samuel, and he's ended up doing so many great things for this team that – it's opened things up for Barrett a little bit in both the running and the passing game. It's opened things up for Mike Weber. Dontre Wilson and Noah Brown have more opportunities to do things in the passing game because Curtis Samuel is out there. And it's unfortunate that he's not getting more love because, one, Barrett is a guy who has Heisman aspirations in his own right, and two, you know, Peppers is just completely ridiculous. And it almost worries me that you know, all the hype on Sunday, uh, Saturday is going to Saquon Barkley. The Urban is going to say, hey, Curtis, we're going to get you, you know, 250 yards on the ground and get 100 in the air. Just something completely ridiculous that Rick, ridiculous like that. I forgot how to speak briefly because Urban Meyer just likes doing that. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's been a fun big 10 year so far, definitely. Uh, anything else that you guys want to talk about? Can we talk about Purdue? I am. I don't think anybody's ever asked that before, but I, I think I would like to. What? Okay. Is the Purdue thing you want to talk about these people saying PJ Fleck should be their next head coach? Well, I mean, kind of, yes, because okay. that's ridiculous. Yeah, go, ahead. Go, ahead. <laughs> go ahead, brother. Um, it, it, it's, it's not just that I, PJ Fleck's not going to take that job, which he won't. It's just I don't. They have no real identifiable candidates that everybody, uh, the casual fans can look to and be like, oh, yeah, like that's pretty good. Yeah. 
Like last, they hired an Ohio State assistant last time, and it got them here. They tried to copy the same blueprint that all of the better teams in the conference are doing, and it got them here. They need to go back to what got them one of their biggest runs of success ever under Joe Taylor and just do something different. They need to start looking for because things like that lets them use guys who were not recruited for the systems that everybody else's are running. Talent falls through the cracks. It, it, it can work. You can be kind of successful on a sliding scale at Purdue, but you're not going to get there by hiring like Greg Schiano or, or whoever. Um, I personally think they need to hire some uh, an assistant running an air raid offense uh, and probably one whose resume is not totally filled out yet. Uh, not normally one that you would think would get a power conference position, but Purdue is not going to pay a ton of money. Yeah, you, you need some, you need somebody who is looking for that first opportunity, even if it's not a particularly good one. Yeah, I mean, you and the name that I mean, well, I think we're past the point where we have to worry about this. But when we were joking around about you know if James Franklin ends up getting fired after two or three weeks or whatever or two or three weeks ago, whatever it was, the name you kept throwing around was a guy like a Jeff Brom and. He can name his price at another school, but a guy like that is what Purdue needs to go for. Someone who's going to say, let's think outside the box, let's think unconventional, and more importantly, let's get a dude in here who has had some extended run of success. Like, Don't get me wrong, I like Daryl Hazell. I think that he has a future somewhere in football, but prior to coming to Purdue, he had two years as a head coach. The first one, he went five and seven in Ke- at Kent State. The second year, he went eleven and three at Kent State, where the entire game plan was basically we have Dree Archer, and no other team in the MAC has Dree Archer. So let's give the ball to <laughs> yeah, Dree Archer. Yeah, which, that was real good. Which, like that, that's as good of a plan as there is. Don't get me wrong. And he, you should do something like that at the lower levels. You should try and take advantage of the fact that you have guys who are bigger and. You have one guy who's bigger, faster, stronger, whatever. But that doesn't work when you get up to these bigger levels. What they need is a guy who's going to think a little bit outside the box, like you mentioned. Uh, you, you said, uh, I, I said Brom. Uh, I believe Jason Kirk at uh, SB Nation threw out a name that kind of made me giggle, which was Ken Niumatololo over at Navy, who if he turned the BYU down, job down last year, there's no way in hell he's taking Purdue, but... No. Yeah, but like we said, someone like that, someone who's going to do something a little bit differently. Of course, they're probably going to fall back on a dude like Brock Spack, or which, like, don't get me wrong, Brock Spack would be a very solid hire for them. But that would just give Purdue a ceiling of like six and six, seven and five, and that's kind of the end of it. Of course, in the midst of all of this, there is PJ Fleck, who. Uh, when do you want to talk about why PJ Fleck is not going to Purdue? There's this concept of a career arc. Yeah. And at no point <laughs> in any successful head coach's career arc does the phrase Purdue come up. Uh, he, uh, as you've both mentioned, he's really going to be able to name his price at the right opportunity, and it is just not Purdue for him right now. And I think the other thing that Purdue's going to struggle with in this position here is that, you know, Peter, you're totally right about they need to do something different because they're not going to outman ball Harbaugh. But when Joe Tiller came to the Big Ten, that was a very different Big Ten. He was the only one running anything remotely that looked like that offense. But now you have a lot more diversity in scheme and a lot more spread attacks throughout the conference. So it's like, what could you even do? That's why... That's why the Navy coach seems to make so much more sense. Or not sense, but if you're going to do something different, do something really, really, yeah, really exactly. different. Yeah, no, no I, I, I agree with you on that point. Yeah, I mean, spread offenses have become so ubiquitous in college football that if you're going to try to go that route, you need to go with somebody who runs like an insanely aggressive version of the spread. Do you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, if they could have gotten a guy like Dino Babers, that would have been oh, fantastic. Man. Um, I I don't know. Um, this is just me spitballing a little bit, so there's there's nothing to this. I don't know if uh, I mean I certainly wouldn't hire Art Riles, uh, <laughs> and but what about his son Kendall? He's Baylor's offensive coordinator. Yeah, 
I mean, he's been around for yeah. a, li- a little bit well now. He was, uh, I believe, it was a semifinals for the Broyles Award. So, I mean, he seems like he's a decent coach. I'm not sure how much he's involved in the uh, the scandal stuff that happened there. Yeah. Um, but that's that's something. Uh, another name I was just just looking at. Are, are you going to? So we, we don't we don't think Niamato Lolo will leave Navy, uh, but uh, their offensive coordinator Ivan Jasper that, that might be the guy you go get. Yeah, maybe. I mean, sh- should I say the one name that I w- throw I throw in for every head coaching job, or would that be dangerous? I think you should say it, and then we can talk, talk about how it might be the worst cultural fit I could ever imagine. Lane by God Kiffin. Here's the thing. Lane Train. Lane Train. I love Lane Kiffin because there are two kinds of people on this earth. There are assholes who try to hide the fact that they're assholes, and there are assholes who embrace it. And I have so much respect for people who are two, and Lane Kiffin is two times a billion. That, and above, we kind of forget this. This dude is a good football coach. Well... He may not be a great head coach. I think we he may be a few years away from still being, you know, his final form. This dude knows what he's doing on the offensive side of the football at the very least. And in the Big Ten, especially in the Big Ten West, where there's room for one team to outscore every other team. I mean, Nebraska kind of can do that. Iowa, that's not really their style. Northwestern can't do that. Minnesota can't do that. Wisconsin, that's not their style. Purdue and Illinois can't do that. There is a place for a coach who's going to bring in a weird system to come in, throw the ball 100 100 times, run the ball 100 times, whatever, take advantage of what all the other teams are not doing and just try and outgun them. That's Kiffin's game. So I would like to see him in Purdue. But Peter, as you mentioned, culturally that's not a good fit. No, no, no. Um, Purdue is probably uh, a little bit more conservative, uh, also a little bit more cheap than uh, than what he's looking for. Um, I, I don't have the salary database in front of me, but I can't imagine they're far from, from the bottom of the conference in terms of assistance uh, salary pool. Yes, uh, I'm, not, the, I'm not even facilities looking. Facilities yes. are, yeah, yeah. No, I mean the facilities are are not. Uh, really competitive with the rest of the conference. It's just uh, that's not something Lane's going to look at. And after spending all these years rehabilitating himself, being like, "Yes, this is where I get back on top." <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I mean, so that, yeah, no, yeah. he's not going to Purdue. No matter how much I, I don't he... want my beautiful son to go there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll get we'll get to that point one of these days where. Peter and I will celebrate Lane finding a job that's right for him. But, yeah, it's not Purdue. Uh, before we go, um, I think that since this is a Penn State podcast, it may be good for us to touch on Penn State a little bit. Sure. Just me. Why not? Um, so Penn State is 4-2. and two. Uh, That's basically the record that I think most, if not every person, expected out of Penn State this year. Um, but the way that Penn State has got there has just been this weird – this weird roller coaster of highs and lows of, you know, James Franklin's on the hot seat one day to James Franklin's going to be the guy here forever the next. It's just been a weird season for Penn State. And Peter uh, wrote something. Well, he compiled something and wrote in it today. It was basically all of us looking at what we thought in the preseason and adjusting that to how we feel right now as Penn State enters the second half of the 2016 season, Ohio State at Purdue, Iowa at Indiana at Rutgers, Michigan State. So, uh, Len, we'll start with you. Where were you to start the year, and how have those feelings kind of evolved over the last month and a half of Penn State football? I had them 8-4 and four to start the year, and that was really me just kind of picking the average of what's the best-case scenario and what's the worst-case scenario. Whereas now I feel like eight and four might be the floor. I really kind of, and that has as much to do with I'm liking the progress I'm seeing week over week after the Michigan debacle, and as it does to do with what I think of the back end of their schedule. Interesting. Okay. And when you say eight and four is the floor, I I take that as uh, they would lose. 
I mean, like, at worst, they're losing two more games for the rest of this year, which, I mean, hell, I tell me before the season Penn State would be at that point, and I'd be pretty surprised. Yeah, that's where I'm at right now. So what do you think the ceiling I, is? Uh, yeah, that's a pretty narrow window, isn't it? I guess yeah. you'd have to say 9-3. and three. I don't think anyone can be a serious person and suggest that an Ohio State win is on the table right now. Yeah, I, I'll pull it up right now, but I believe that uh, S&P Plus yeah, is a uh, win uh, record probability. 38% chance of Penn State going 8-4, and 4, 34% chance of Penn State going 9-3, and 3, 8% chance of 10-2. and 2. So maybe that uh, Ohio State game, while... Honestly, honestly, that's a bigger percentage than I thought it would be. Yeah, I mean... Ohio, really? Yeah. The win probability for the Ohio State game is currently about 27%, margins about 11 points. So, uh, listen, anything... Weird things happen in whiteouts. Uh Peter, let's go to you. Uh, how have your feelings kind of evolved over the course of the season? Uh, so I, I also think of going 8-4. and four. Uh, That's where I started the season as well, and that's where I am now. Uh, uh, in between the beginning of the season and now, I probably went down to them going about 6-6. Six and six. Uh, okay, But okay. after after they, they escaped against Minnesota and then uh, waxed Maryland, I feel much more secure that um, they're not going to totally crater out. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, so, I, I mean, I, I think there is another loss in there someplace besides Ohio State. I could see it, worst-case scenario, maybe being two. Yeah. But I don't think that's terribly likely. Yeah. Um, so, and I think part of it is the improvement, but also um, Michigan State's uh, just total collapse is uh, as much a part to, to do with this as anything. Yeah, I mean, I started the year at six and six. Uh, I was really, really worried about what Pitt was going to end up doing to the offensive line, what Temple was going to do, uh, as Penn State kind of tried to bounce back from what was going to happen in the Pitt game, uh, and then one of those like Minnesota, Indiana games coming up and biting them in the ass, along with Michigan, Ohio State, and Michigan State just waxing them. But like we've said, like. We've seen so much improvement over the course of the season. Like Penn State is sixth nationally in rush offensive rushing S and P plus and second in offensive passing S and P plus. Like this offense has just been really good this year, and it's been weird because over the last two years we've been used to completely inept off on the offensive side of the ball by Penn State. So to see an offense come out and drop 38 on Maryland, 29 on Minnesota, 39 on Pitt, like these are all just really reassuring things for going forward when Penn State's schedule is a lot easier than we thought it was going to be at the start of the year. So I'm at eight. I am also at eight and four. I could very easily be talked into nine and three. I mean, I, I think Purdue and Rutgers are both going to be fairly um, not tough games. Iowa, I don't I, I think Penn State should probably win that one. Michigan State, if they turn it around, they turn it around, but right now that looks increasingly unlikely. So it all comes down in my mind to that game at Indiana. And if Indiana's defense doesn't keep up its high level of play and the offense isn't able to take the step forward that we're used to seeing out of an Indiana offense, that game suddenly becomes very, very winnable. So Eight and four is probably likely. Nine and three is on the table. Joe Moorhead deserves to be paid whatever he wants to be paid after this season because that dude has just been like money this year. Uh, and yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to our inevitable trip to uh, either the Holiday Bowl or the uh, one of the Florida Bowl games and not having to spend Christmas in Detroit. So. That's going to be uh that's going to be lovely. Uh, praise yeah. up, praise up. Yeah, do you guys have any like bowl game wishes? Any lovely places you'd like to go see? Uh, holiday bowl number one with a bullet. Really? Okay. Oh yeah, I love the holiday bowl. I was I was all about the Music City Bowl before this season, but Penn State got a little bit too good to go to the Music City Bowl, which kind of makes me upset because I wanted to go spend a couple of nice days in lovely Nashville, Tennessee. Uh. Yeah, Len, do you have any uh, 
Do you have any major uh, bowl requests that you would like to go to? Holiday would be great. Um, I'll take anything that isn't the Foster Farms or the Craft Fight Hunger Bowl or whatever that <laughs> bowl that's played at an hour outside of San Francisco is. Uh, God damn. Now I have to look up the name. Of the, uh, uh, Detroit's the Quick Lane Bowl. So yeah, Penn State is, you know. <laughs> of course. Yes. Pray to every single DT that exists that Penn State does not have a total collapse and we don't have to spend Christmas in Detroit because that would just be... Uh, now, I, now I just have to double check and make sure the Quick Lane Bowl is December 26th. Yes, I ain't doing that. So thank you, Penn State Football, for not making us have to go to Detroit. Uh, thank you to Peter and Wen, both of you guys, for coming on on relatively short notice to this edition of the pod while Nick tries to figure out his ant problem. Pleasure to well, be here. thank you for having us. No, no, no. We, we appreciate it. And you guys were such lovely guests, so... We, we, yeah, we need to do this more often with the both of you. Maybe have Len play the Penn Live game or something because he can't do any worse than Peter did. <laughs> I've been practicing, buddy. <laughs> uh, well, I think that's it for this edition of the podcast. As always, make sure you're following Roar Lions, Roar Twitter, Facebook, any other social media channel that we have that I can't think of right now. We're Twitter at Roar RLR Blog. Facebook, just search Roar Lions, Roar, we're the one with the big Keystone logo. Make sure you subscribe to us, SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, or whatever the hell that thing is called. I can't think of it right now because I am exhausted. On iTunes, make sure you give us a review. Make sure you give us a nice little star rating. And, of course, anything that you ever want to contact us about, about how we can make this podcast better, get in touch with myself, get in touch with Nick. Our emails are on the site. Uh, We very frequently read our emails, and we want to hear what you guys have to say. Uh, read the site, buy the shirts. They're lovely shirts. Both of the dudes on the podcast. the shirts. Yes, they understand the how lovely the shirts are. Uh, we have some up in State College, so if you're going to be in town for the game this weekend, by all means, get in touch with me. They're at my place. I can meet up with you somewhere. You can get your new favorite T-shirt. They're all gorgeous. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. Again, thank you to Len and Peter for coming on. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, we hope you talked... Next time we talk, you end up listening the entire time. For Len D'Amico, for Peter Burks, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, y'all.